0: Um, Many of of you have heard me talk a little bit about my upbringing and how I grew up. I grew up in a big family, but I also grew up under the tutelage of television. We watch a lot of TV in my house, specifically I did. And this is why my mind processes and ideas and stories and pictures. In our town of Bay Village, Ohio, which is outside of Cleveland, there's a UHF station called WUAB Channel 43. Do you guys remember UHF stations? Raise your hand if you remember UHF stations. Any of the younger kids know what a UHF station is? It's where you put these rabbit ear antennas up and get a really fuzzy picture and all old movies come up. Well, on Channel 43, Channel 43, they would have all of, like on Saturday afternoon, they have these old movies. So it's where I learned a lot of old actors, saw Westerns, Japanese monster movies, and of course, your martial arts movies. And um, one of my favorite actors at that time was this guy by the name of Bruce Lee. you remember Bruce Lee? Yeah. Bruce Lee, very, very strong man. He was an original karate master. You know, he'd stand like that, and he'd go like this. But when he talked, you know, his mouth would move like this. How are you doing today? <laughs> very good. How are you? You know, that kind of stuff. And every time he walked, his, the feet would go in and they kick somebody. Whack! Whack! You know, he was amazing, amazing karate master. One of his movies made a big impact on me, and this movie, the title of it is called The Big Boss. The storyline is very simple. In the movie, Bruce Lee is this pacifist, very kind man, very unassuming, and his name was Chang. And Chang's mom made him an, a necklace, a green amulet. And as long as he wore that necklace, he promised his mother he would never fight. He would never get into an argument because he was deadly with his karate. So he promised his mother, as long as I have that amulet on, he'd say it like this, I will not fight. Well, he moved to Thailand where his uncle had a business and his uncle's business was getting invaded by... Like the local mafia, thugs, they'd come in, they would run drugs through his uncle's business. And they would, if they didn't do it, these thugs would beat up his employees. And one day the thugs came in to beat up the employees and Chang wanted to fight and his uncle pointed to his amulet and said, no, 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 no fight for you. So Chang held back. Next day they came in with a whole wagon load of more thugs and these guys were tougher and they went up to Chang and they said, Oh, who's new guy? They slapped him in the face. And he looked down. like that. But he didn't do anything because he's wearing the green amulet. And they started fighting and they started fighting and one guy was pushed into Chang. And his fist went to Chang and he just happened to rip off the amulet. And when the amulet was ripped off in the way that if you watch the incredible cinematography, <laughs> Chang looks down. And he goes like this. (laughs) And he's mad and he goes, Ah! And the whole rest of the movie, he beats up the whole town. Like the whole town. Chang had enough. And when Chang had enough, everybody has to watch out. And that's how I began living my life. Be a pacifist. Be a really kind guy. But once you hit me, Ah! You know, like that kind of thing. Did you know when you read Scripture... That's exactly the way God behaves. Look at this. This is Romans chapter 2. Or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and tolerance and patience of God, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's Supposed to wake you up to say, wow, God could tear me apart, but he chooses not to. I better change my life. Goes on to saying, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, which means you're, I'm just going to do things my way. I don't care what God says. Because of that hardness, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when the green amulet is ripped off. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, today we get a little glimpse of what it's like when Jesus' green amulet is ripped off. It's in Matthew 23, and it's when Jesus has had enough. He's had enough, and this is, to me, one of the most shocking verses of Scripture, what Jesus is saying. It actually comes right off the heels of of what Scott said last week. Didn't Scott do a great job last week, by the way? Scott did a great job. uh, it's a blessing to have him. And last week he talked about how the Pharisees were disputing with Jesus. And they wanted to humiliate him. In fact for three and a half years they wanted to humiliate Jesus. And they're asking him all these questions and he answers them. And then at the very end of chapter 22 he has a question for them about the Messiah. Whose son is he? David said, the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand. So who's the Messiah? And look at verse 46 of chapter 22. And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And if you end in chapter 22, it's as if, yeah, Jesus got the better of him. No, Jesus takes off the green amulet and he's going to go after him. He's going to unload. He had enough. And when we read the next 13 verses of chapter 23, I want you to try to figure out what really makes Jesus mad. That's what you need to ask yourself. And let's begin in verse 1 of Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That means the place of prominence. They are the top dogs. Of the, where they instruct the crowds. And Jesus says, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their little finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad. That means they wore the scripture on their thing in it. Everybody wants to see it. They have the scripture on their forehead. That's what a phylactery is. Their phylacteries is broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplace is being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all Brothers. And call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors. For you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What? makes Jesus mad? The very last word that I read. Hypocrisy. Drives him mad. Drives him crazy. We're gonna talk about that today. What is hypocrisy? What does it look like? And why does it make him mad? Those are the questions we're gonna look at. So just to begin, hypocrisy is one of those words we like to throw around at each other like mud in a mud fight. You know, I try to throw it on you and hope it sticks and you throw it on me. You're a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. So nobody needs to listen to anything. Jesus doesn't use the word like that. He uses it like a scalpel to cut deep down into the heart exposing spiritual disease. It's, a, it's like pride is like a gangrene which starts corroding the whole self. And according to Jesus... It's also, hypocrisy is a grave offense against God's glory himself because we shouldn't steal any of it. None of it. And so he wants us to be exposed so he can eradicate pride. The word comes from the idea of an actor performing a part. That's really where the Greek word comes from. It's a person who, you know, before he goes into a play, you know, his face is sort of like that, puts on a mask, Like that. So you're at home. You stupid rotten kids, I am sorry to you. You walk into the church door. Well, God be the glory. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. And you go home. Oh, I hate this world. Everybody in that church is a bunch of fakos, you know? And then you see they call you up. Oh hi, how are you, brother? Good to talk to you. I love you. I love you, you hang up. I hate that guy. That's hypocrisy. But hypocrisy even goes a little bit deeper. I was doing more reading on it. It's the person who loves to criticize others, but they can't be criticized themselves. They're that Christian that has the gift of spiritual discernment. I can tell a fake. That's right. That's a fake. There's a fake. There's a fake. So are you. Hey, shut your mouth. That's a hypocrite. The hypocrite's great at telling everybody what to do, but don't tell me what to do. That's hypocrisy. So Paul says it like this. You, O man, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Let me give you an illustration. Doesn't it drive you crazy when people lie to you? Have you ever lied to someone? Doesn't it drive you nuts when somebody makes an appointment and they don't show up? Have you ever done it? Well, when I do it, I either have a flat tire or, you know, my, my phone was on the fritz. Or, I, you know, the power went off. But they should be there on time. You see, whatever point you judge someone, you do the same thing. You're guilty of the judgment you've just rendered. That's what Romans is talking about. So in this passage, we're going to discuss who are the hypocrites. And he's very clear on this one. The first one is who is this class of charlatans. He's addressing the Pharisees. So there they are with their tassels long. They have this phylactery, and they like to talk in the places and be seen. And Jesus is going to use them as show and tell. And it's really shocking, because these are the leaders. This would be like going to the top religious people of our denomination, or of our church, you know, maybe even the Vatican. Or the... uh, hall of Congress and the Senate and pointing at them and saying, all right, let me show you what they do. It's like show and tell. So here's what the Pharisees do. Starting in verse 3 and 4, they don't walk the talk. They sit on Moses' seat. They tell you what to do. You better do what they say, but don't do what they do because they never follow their instruction. And then you have verse 5. Basically, everything's done for show. Verse 5 says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And then verse 6 through 9, they love honors, titles, positions, rabbi, father, reverend, senior pastor. Call me senior pastor, please. When you don't call me Chris, how dare some people like, I called you Chris. I know, and I'm really angry at you. Call me senior pastor from this time or Your Highness, whatever you want. (laughs) Why did you just spit out your coffee, Darren, on that one? (laughs) I said Your Highness, and you go like that. (laughs) Eugene Peterson says in a message, the Pharisees' lives are are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. If you have not been raised in a high church culture, or you've just been raised sort of in a non-denom like ours, You'd you think this was only the Pharisees' problem. But this is a worldwide church phenomenon going on right now. If you go to elite traditional churches, I'll tell you, it's bold-faced hypocrisies all over the place. And I would get in trouble for saying this. But often what happens is they will hire their pastor who's just a regular guy. Often they're very overweight and nerdy. But they put on a white robe and they put on a stole and then they get a look like this, downcast eyes, and then they chant. And the problem with Christians and the pews is we're really kind. We're like, oh, they're holy people. Ooh. I was an altar boy to church like this. I had a priest that would do that. Then you'd go in the back and take off your robes, and that guy would swear more than I've ever heard anybody swear. You know, like, what happened? What happened? It's called hypocrisy. We're all really good at it. Have you ever seen on TV when the Vatican has a festival, and they have over 10,000 priests in cardinal red outfits, and they got long necklaces on and? wafting smoke that comes up? Do you think they'd let a carpenter with calloused hands and just sandals come in? You know, it's not just religious places that do this. Have you ever been to elite universities when they have graduation ceremonies and people with PhDs and masters wear berets and triple stoles and they're very important people? Or our politicians go on social media and they start waxing eloquent about something they know nothing about. Somebody gets hired or gets elected, and now they think they know how to run an economy, and we're supposed to listen to them, because they're so smart. Have you ever run a business? No, I don't know, but I know what the businesses should do. Or you go to the red carpet in Hollywood, and because somebody has a $100,000, you know, Oscar de la Renta evening dress with a Louis Vuitton handbag, we are to adore them. They were born so we can grovel. <laughs> very important people walk among us. Did you know that? So be careful. how you. That's what he's talking about. But none of us in here live like that, do we? None of us are like that. I think this question is very important because hypocrisy causes Jesus to say something I never want to hear him say to me. I read it in verse 13. Look how verse 13 begins. Woe to you. There's seven of these woes. So remember in Matthew 5 when Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And then he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed was a, was a word of blessing where God, he would confer God's grace through that. Woe is a word of cursing. The NLT says sorrow awaits those who do these things. So hypocrisy. If it lingers on any of us, we need to be very careful. Very careful. It's easy to see it in the higher church situations, but, you know, we don't have titles and we don't wear robes, so it's not with us. Ah, If you walk through the halls, you can smell hypocrisy. It's on a lot of people. It's on me a lot of times. So we're going to talk about the seven woes and put it in three subsets. First, we're going to talk about how does a hypocrite see themselves? Second, how does a hypocrite use religion for their own gain? And then the third thing is, how does a hypocrite self-delude themselves about their own greatness? And here's why I want to do this, because I don't want you to ask this about anybody else. Remember, hypocrites love to criticize others, but forget about criticizing themselves. This is sort of like, did you ever see Get Smart when they had that privacy bubble? Went down in their own privacy bubble. Right now, I'm putting a privacy bubble on all of you guys. This sermon is just you. Ask yourself, does the stench of hypocrisy cling to me? So here's how hypocrites see themselves. They exalt themselves over others. That's what verse 12 says. Look at verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So they exalt themselves other others because they just believe themselves to be better. They think they're better. He is saying this to Pharisees, but he's also saying this to people that just think they're special. This is um, this really like imagine, imagine Jesus made all of you, you're, all, of your, all of you are his children, but imagine going to Jesus and saying, I know I know everybody hears your kid's God, but I'm better than all your other kids. Who that makes them mad. And so how does this work itself out? So the first woe we find in verse 13. The first woe says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces so they don't allow people in based on all their rules, but you don't enter either. So hypocrites actually are self-deceived. They think they're saved. They assume themselves to be righteous and good, and I'm going to get in, but they aren't getting in either. They're self-deluded, self-deceived. The Pharisees had all these rules. Instead of just sticking to Scripture, they took Scripture and they, what, they extrapolated into these man-made rules, and then they said, you have to follow all these man-made rules. Yeah, but Scripture doesn't say that. Yeah, but I know a little bit more than the regular guy, so you got to do it my way. So hypocrites are those kind of people that take the scripture and either they will add to it or they will they don't care about it. And you can't tell them any different because they're just smarter. They're just better. I would say I think we now in our culture we are we aren't like the Pharisees where Pharisees add new rules, more rules Old old Baptists used to be like that, like there's things you can and can't do, and you better not, you know, go to an R-rated movie, you better not listen to that kind of music. We've kind of eschewed that. Now we've taken a scripture and say, ah, as long as you just love people, don't worry about that. Love them as they are. You don't need to worry about the scripture. Why? Because I just know I'm good. How do you know that? So listen to what Kevin Max, the used to be the lead singer at a D.C. talk. He's left the fold of Christians. He's left D.C. talk. And he tweeted this. Listen to what he says. This is what I'm talking about. He said, I am anti-war. I am pro-peace. I am anti-hate. I am pro-live. I am pro-LGBTQIA. I am pro-BLM, I am pro-open-mindedness, I am anti-narrow-mindedness, I am pro-utopia. By the way, does he not know utopia means a place that does not exist? Anyhow, he's pro-utopia, pro-anti-white nationalist agenda, he's pro-equality, pro-vax, pro-music, anti-one-percenters, pro-poor, pro-misfit, pro-Jesus, etc. Then he writes... God cares about my progression and asking questions and wanting to know what is real and what isn't real. I don't think the God that I believe in is going to just all of a sudden ignore me because I don't believe every single thing that's written down somewhere. What does he mean by that? I don't care what this says. Why not? Because I just don't think that's the kind of God that exists. Oh, you don't. Why do you have the right to know what kind of God exists? because I'm so cool. I'm so cool, and I love people. When people say they love somebody, you've got to first ask them the question, what does love mean? So if I saw my daughter being raped, do I just let the person who's raping her go, or do I love my daughter to say, stop it! Doesn't love confront things that are killing you? crazy how we think we are wiser than the holy God. Wow. Anyhow, the second woe we find in verse 15. Verse 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land and to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, that means a follower of him. I want people to follow me. You make him twice as much as the child of hell as you. Could you imagine Jesus saying that? Why is that? I thought Jesus was a nice, kind guy. He's calling some people the child of hell. That's hate speech for crying out loud. So the second woe is that hypocritical... Christians are often, they often are self-appointed authorities. They cannot be told what to do, but they sure tell others what to do. It reminds me of a story, and Gina, I don't mean to slam Graham. I I was talking to my sister about Graham, but I can't remember the story. Uh, My mom would tell me when my oldest sister did something wrong as a little girl, my mom realized, she yelled at my sister, and then over time she realized my sister didn't do that wrong thing, so she went to my sister and apologized to her. My grandmother told my mom... (coughs) You, she said this, parents never apologize to their children. Moms are always in the right. So are hypocrites. Let me ask you a question. Do you always have to be right? Are you the one who must be in charge because down in your gut, you really think you know what's better all the time? Do you feel justified in yelling at people who work under you or in the same household as you are, but because they're younger, you can yell at them? Hypocrites love to flex their, per, their position of perceived superiority. Remember, you've got that, that box is just for you. Remember, hypocrites love to flex their position of perceived superiority over others. And Jesus is very, very be very, very careful of that. that He's about ready to rip off that amulet. Did you know people aren't put in leadership positions to lord it over, it says in Peter, but to serve others? Let's go to the next one. How do hypocrites use religion? How do they use religion? Well, they engage in superficial spirituality. Superficial means false, but it looks spiritual. So they are are focused on false religion Because really what happened, they'd forgotten about God. So if you look at that, if you look at that hand on the screen, do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? And no, no, it is not. Do you know what I'm going to say? TJ, you know what I'm going to say. It is not the gauntlet, the infinity gauntlet that Thanos wore in Avengers Endgame. That is not what it is. Actually, some people think this is where it came from. This is a picture of an enclosed, severed left hand of Teresa of Avila. It's considered many as a holy relic. Teresa was a Carmelite nun who lived in the early 1500s, and she wrote about mysticism and meditation, and this is known as the incorruptible hand of St. Teresa. What happened, some Carmelite nuns, after St. Teresa died, they, three or four months later, they exhumed her body out of the ground, and they noticed, did you notice Her body has not, it has not fallen apart. It's incorruptible. So they cut off her hand, they inflate it in gold and jewels, and now it is in a place in Italy. And if you go there and kiss that hand, God will come alive to you. He'll come alive to you. So pilgrims say that the presence of God comes powerfully upon you when you kiss her golden-plated hand. What do you think of them? I'm going this afternoon. Does anybody want to go? (laughs) Do you think, do you first of all think that actually contains an incorruptible hand of a holy woman who lived 500 years ago? And if it does, do you think God has actually conferred his presence to a dismembered hand plated in gold? And if you do, I have some land in Egypt I'd like to sell you after the service. It's really cheap, and I'll give you a title deed to it. Hypocrites love this kind of stuff. They love visions and they love relics and they love, love like, pictures because it makes them feel holy because they were in its presence, but the whole time they forgot they can talk to the living God right now. So this brings us to the third woe, 16 to 22. It's really weird. He's talking to these blind guides, the Pharisees. If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he's bound to his oath. He's talking about how if you do things a certain way ritualistically, you'll get, you know, you're doing it the right way. But look at verse 22. He cuts the chase. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him. It's all about him, not the gold. Not the temple, not the altar, not the incense, not the holy water, not the wafer, not the tie on Sunday. It's just about God who's alive and right now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Amen. So the third wall really is hypocrites are all about ritual and they forget the relationship. It's about quibbling about silly disputes. Have you, ever had, have you ever had anybody talk to you in second person? So you go up to them, shake their hand, and they look at you and they go, how's Chris Weeks doing today? And that, i got to tell you, it drives me crazy. And don't do that to me. But how's Chris Weeks doing today? And I will often say, I don't know, I haven't talked to him in a while. You know, like, they're like, oh, no, 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 how are you? Oh, you're talking to me. Or what if people talk to Chris Weeks in the third person? come up to me, shake my hand. You know, I saw this guy, Chris Weeks, over the other day. When we do rituals, it's like talking to God in a second person. I remember my wife and I would go to Eastern, like we'd go to Russia, and they'd have icons, and it's, they would pray to these pictures. It'd be like talking to your dad, but in, he's right there sitting across from the table, but you have a picture of your dad sitting Set up right on the table with you. You talk to the picture instead of talking to your dad. That's what rituals are. They bypass the living or the dead. A severed hand? That's as dead as you can get. The fourth woe is found in 23 and 24. Four. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and come you. You're really specific about what you need to do, which you should be tithing that, but that's all they matter. But you've neglected the weightier matters. What are the weightier matters? Justice, mercy. Mercy is giving forgiveness to people who've wronged you. And faithfulness. These are the things you should have done. These are the things you should have done. And in 24, you're blind guides. You're straining out a gnat. You care about little teeny things while you swallow a camel. So what what does he mean by this? This fourth woe is the idea of being more concerned about my purity, me, than about loving others. Hypocrites are obsessed with themselves. They're navel gazers. You could say it like this. If hypocrites would play a sport, their sport would be golf because they're worried about their scores. Ah, chip off a couple of my strokes next game. So they're always trying to better their golf score. Hypocrites are always trying to be less and less sinful. If I can be less and less sinful. But then they don't even love people. Really, if if Christianity was a sport, it would be rugby, really. Where you lean on people and you're in the middle of the sweat and the blood and the dirt you're tackling the opponent like you're trying to tackle Satan. Stopping him from getting to the people you love. Or somebody in your team dislocates their collarbone or breaks it, and you heal them. When people are dislocated from sin, you heal them. It's a church. It's not about just you. It's about building the body of Christ for the name of Jesus. It's about others. Hypocrites don't do things for others. And then the fifth woe is in 25 and 26. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup of the plate, but inside you're full of greed, money hungry, self-indulgent. So the fifth woe is that hypocriticals have this false piety. They want to look the part, but they aren't the part. You know, so they're the Christians that I don't swear, I don't drink, I don't go to bad movies. I don't let my kids attend public school. I don't watch Spongebob. I don't let them eat Fruity Pebbles because I'm a good Christian. You see? Life with God is all about staying away from bad things, looking apart. But where is the, the love and the joy? You know, these kind of Christians are the ones that, man, they're always there when the church is open, but why are they always upset and critical and crotchety? They're always mad. Oh boy, are they good. But true Christians are the ones that, they're like a breath of fresh air that's blown in on a hot day. When their love and their joy and their peace is just tasted, people are so happy to have them there. Mike, you're like that, honestly. When you come to that men's group, you're just a blast to have there. Just joy. How hypocrites live a They think they've arrived. They think they've arrived. The Pharisees, through all the book of Matthew, carried this air of arrogant confidence like they are the gatekeepers of heaven because, of course, they're already in. They're even telling Jesus what he has to do and not do. And everyone needs to know that they are already in because they're so important. It's really where hypocrisy takes you. Hypocrisy takes you to self-delusion. I really think I'm that good. So that leads to the sixth woe, which is in 27 and 28. 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy. Lawlessness. So, Whitewashed tombs. So back then, Jewish ceremony for especially important people, the tombs would be plated in gold, and then they'd bring them into an ivory sepulcher that had angels that were carved in white stone with Hebrew sayings, and you'd look at that white stone and the gold coffin, you'd be so impressed. And it goes through town, and everybody's impressed. But inside that coffin, bones. Rotting bones. Maggot bones. And he's saying there's a lot of people like that. They look so good and they want everybody to think they're good, but inside their bones. It's those people that if they want, they want to be recognized. And if you don't recognize them and if you don't give them a position of title, they pout. Because hypocrites want honor and fame because they think they deserve it. Pouting isn't humility. Pouting is saying, I should have this title and honor and respect, but I'm not given it. Why don't they give that to me? But then when people do get the title and honor, you know they do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know. Thanks. I know I deserve it. And that's the kind of stuff that brings lightning. And the reason there's a lightning storm I won a horseshoe game against my son. And I was boasting yesterday. <laughs> and then the storm comes in. So forgive me. I'm sorry. The seventh woe we find in 29 through 36. And this is the saddest of all. Jesus writes, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets. You decorate the monuments of the righteous. Saying, if we've lived in the days of our fathers, we have not taken with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. And then he calls them, you serpents. Again, Jesus, the hate speech. Come on. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you escaping sentence to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your own synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Bachariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary. Truly I say this to you, all these things will come upon this generation. This is what causes him to rip off the amulet. What causes Jesus to ultimately rip off the amulet? It's when hypocrites silence those who confront their pride? The prophets came to say, Stop it! And they'd kill them because they didn't want to hear it. Hypocrites don't want to hear it. The most dangerous thing in the world is to take the mask off the hypocrite, to pull the curtains back from the wizard and see the man who's working the machine. He's just a guy, he's not the wizard. Often the proudest people, proudest people you'll meet are often the most insecure. The most defensive are trying to hide the most skeletons. The reason why people will give you blowback often, like mad, quick blowback, is they're trying to push you away so you won't examine any further. God wants to shine a light in your coffin. Because when he does... It's what sets us free. When we expose ourselves to who we really are, then he pours out mercy. Then he gives us regenerative hearts. Then he starts forming us into the person of Christ. But as long as I'm being a hypocrite and not letting him be expose me, I have to put on a mask the rest of my life. And it's the hardest thing to do. It's hard to be fake. If you let God tell the truth about who you are, you'll never fear the opinion of man. He does it very sharply, but he's very kind about it. He says, you need to change this. And if you do, I will do this. He doesn't judge. He performs surgery. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. But hypocrites are always hiding because they don't want that surgery. They just don't. I met a man one time. He... uh, came to me, really wanted to get serious with God. So I met with him a while. He really was convinced of the gospel. Then he said, I really want to dedicate my life to Christ. I want to be baptized. He was baptized, got baptized in front of the church. A week after he was baptized, God exposed the sin he was hiding for years. He was distraught. Like he was not only depressed, but he was completely humbled. And he called me, like, I went over to his house and he was just broken. And I can remember, it's really weird, like, he was really broken. But he thought his life was over. And I can remember, I just said to him, This is great. And he looked at me, he goes, What do you mean this is great? You just got baptized, didn't you? And he said, Yeah. And I said, That's the problem. He says, Well, what do you mean? I said, the problem is, when you want Christ to really be in your life, he wants to clean you out so he can make a home in you. And he goes, yeah, but, but people are going to think I'm a big hypocrite. <laughs> Who cares? We all are. But people won't respect me anymore. It's not about you. It's about Christ being formed in you. And to me, being exposed means God loves you. Because he now wants to change you and give you Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. And it's amazing. He wants you to admit your sins so He can forgive you. Hypocrites don't want to be seen. True believers realize, I got nothing, and I'm not that big a deal. The question for you is, who do you think you are? Or, who do you think you are? You could read it either way. But who do you really think you are? Will you allow his searching light to change you? Or will you put on a bigger mask after hearing this? sermon? Because those who do start realizing, really, you know what, life's all about Christ and Him alone.